Hi, my name's Alex Rodriguez, and welcome back to another episode of Bone Group Banter. As always, we're here to discuss, debate, and share all things musculoskeletal. Today, we have a special guest, Dr. Alex Island from the University of Manchester, as part of today's episodes on the interactions between muscle and bone. So, welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me. Well, can you start by giving us, uh, giving the audience, um, telling us a little bit about yourself and the research that you do? Yeah, so I'm a lecturer in physiology at Manchester Metropolitan University. Um, and my research really focuses on how bones respond to exercise and disuse. Um, so bones experience really large forces as we move. So even as we're walking, our, our bones get forces equivalent to about five to seven times our body weight acting on them. Um, and so they have to be strong enough to resist those. And then if the forces they experience day to day increase, so if we start running or increase in weight, the bones have to adapt and become bigger and stronger to deal with that. On the other side, if we uh, go into disuse, so if we're uh, confined to a wheelchair or go into space, the bones don't experience the same forces and so um, they get broken down and weakened. So I've spoken a lot um, in previous podcasts about the effects of exercise uh, on bone, but you mentioned their adaptation. Can you explain a little bit about what this actually means? Yeah, so the, the type of adaptation um, uh, of bone to exercise is very much dependent on the forces that the um, uh, bones experience at that particular region. So uh, strength against compressive forces is mainly dependent on the amount of bone that you have. So at the ends of bone where there's sort of honeycomb type um, trabecular bone, what happens with exercise is the bone increases in size and more bones packed in to make it stronger against compression. In the shafts of the bone, as well as compression, the bones are twisted and bent, um, and the strength of a bone against bending and torsion is not only dependent on how much bone you have, but how it's distributed. So if you distribute it into a wider tube with thinner walls, the same amount of material, um, it will actually be stronger in, in bending and, and torsion. So this is why in engineering you see a lot of things made out of tubes, thin tubes mm. and thin walls, um, because you can use a small amount of material, keep the structure light, but keep it very strong. And so generally with exercise, the bones are added on the outside of the bone, which has a really beneficial effect um, for bending and, and torsional strength. So muscle and bone uh, work together, so independently you do lots of exercise, you build a lot of muscle, you can also build a, a, a lot of bone, but how does muscle directly contribute to these different adaptations as you was mentioning before in the bone? This is a really important contribution and really depends on the way that our, our joints are arranged. So um, generally our muscles attach very close to, to the joints. Um, so you know our body works on a series of levers. So that when you attach the, the muscle close to the joint, it's kind of like pushing down a seesaw in the middle. That you have to apply a lot of force to, yeah. to get the thing at the other end to, to move. So uh, when you hop, for example, you might press down into the ground with two and a half times your body weight but because your foot is longer than the distance between the ankle and where the muscles attach at the back of the ankle it's about four times longer so to balance that you have to produce um, seven and a half to ten times muscle wow. forces so to say you, you're exposed to these really really large muscle forces um, during even daily activities things like walking and, and going up and down the stairs mm. and so these muscle forces are the things that, that stress the bones most and so this is what causes the, the adaptation. 
So it seems that you can get these uh, unique responses uh, early in life, as you mentioned, as a fertile time to, to grow your bones if you're engaging in some sort of activities. But in this sort of growth phase of your life, if you stop activities, what tends, what tends to happen after that? That's interesting. So um, it very much depends on the, the type of benefits. So there's uh, work that was done in, in baseball players. So baseball players, uh, professionals, tend to have much bigger, stronger throwing arms, um, arm bones. And um, so Stuart Warden uh, in the US looked at retired players, people who've been professionals to a high level, and looked at players who'd retired for one, two, three, four, five decades and, and saw where they saw it, it still had any advantage um, when they'd stopped playing. And what they noticed is the advantages in bone mass, um, so the amount of bone that there was kind of waned over one or two decades and gradually um, there was no benefit. But the bones had also uh, grown, become wider in, um, during adulthood and childhood when these people were exercising. And actually those advantages in size uh, of the bone were maintained even four or five decades after they'd stopped uh, doing activity. Um, so it seems that you get this unique set of adaptations when you exercise when you are young, this ability to increase the bone size uh, throughout its length. And if you do this in childhood, um, these uh, advantages persist right through to, to very old age. So we've spoken in previous podcasts as well about this concept of peak bone mass. So that's the most amount of bone you ever sort of make in your lifetime. That sort of tends to occur in your early 20s or mid 20s. Um, so how does doing um, ac activity you know, early in life influence um, how much uh, peak bone mass we have and, and also the, the shape and the, these adaptations you were mentioning uh, before? What has your research shown about this? So um, actually the very early stages of life see the most dramatic changes in the skeleton. So uh, before birth you go from zero from one cell to, to 45 centimetres um, in nine months, so a huge change in the, the length of your body. Um, and, and that sort of fast rate of growth is maintained in the first couple of years of life. And after that, actually, the growth is much less dramatic. And even when you hit the pubertal growth spurt, the rate of growth isn't anywhere near as big as it is um, in terms of those, those sorts of prenatal period in the first two years. So it's a time of tremendous growth and then unsurprisingly the effects of exercise and physical activity at this period seem to be very pronounced. So work we've done previously has looked at, at walking uh, age. So um, the first time that the bones are exposed to these large forces uh, of walking is when you start to walk independently at about 12 months of age. And what we find is that children at 15 months of age who've been walking for six months and exposing their bones to these forces have about 40 to 50% more bone in their legs than wow. children who are yet to walk. Um, so you really need to capitalise on this sort of explosion that's already happening. The earlier you, you try and elicit more of this, this stimulation, the more you eventually get. Exactly. It seems like a really fertile time to, um, to, to promote bone uh, growth through, through exercise. And actually when we look later in life, so we've looked at, at individuals at 17 years of age and actually at 60 to 64 years of age. So um, men who walked at 15 months or, or later will have nearly a standard deviation, uh, lower 
bone mass than those who walked at 11 or 10 months. Um, so six decades after you've started walking, there's still, if you're late to walk, you will, will be more likely to have osteoporosis and presumably be more likely to, to fracture. Um, and recently we've kind of gone a step back further than that and looked before um, uh, birth, so looked at uh, movements in the womb. What we see is that children who are uh, in a breech position, who are less able to move and, and load their uh, lower limbs uh, during pregnancy um, have lower bone mass at, at birth and actually at four years as, as well. So there really are some key early life things that need to happen that may ultimately determine whether we get osteoporosis and fracture l- later in life. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so just on that later life, let's skip now from early childhood to to uh, uh, the, the third age. Um, you've also done some research, I know, in uh, masters or veteran athletes. Um, what can you tell us about their bone shape and, and how the muscles and bone uh, interact? Yeah, so we've looked at, at different athletes. So one of the um, main contributors to osteoporosis in later life is the fact that older people tend to do a lot less physical activity. Mm. And in particular, they tend to do very little vigorous physical activity, uh, like running and, and jumping and, and so on. And we know that bone is actually most responsive to these very vigorous types of activity that place large loads upon the skeleton. So we've looked at, at athletes, people who maintain um, this kind of uh, higher loading into later life, um, and they tend to have still have big advantages um, in, in bone uh, mass and size and, and strength. Um, unfortunately, the advantage that they do get, even when they continue, does wane with age because their muscles weaken and so they're less able than, than um, younger adults to apply large forces to their bones, but they can still be quite pronounced. So we found that individuals, uh, tennis players who were in their 80s, still had about 20% more bone in their racket, the non-racket arm, um, yeah. So, so like those early adaptations, even if you are doing exercise and these activities later in life, those those effects still are still sort of maintain. Absolutely. Although there is sort of a seems to be a, a certain cutoff point that um, we did notice when we looked at people who'd started to play when they were children, when the skeleton's still growing in length, um, had a, a slightly better adaptation or more pronounced adaptations than those who'd begun. Um, when they were adults and the skeleton had, had finished growing in length. Um, and, and most pronounced was the size of the bone at, at the joints. So in, in children who play tennis, they can increase the size, the cross-sectional area of their bones by about 20-25% um, by exercising during youth. But we, when we looked at people who'd started when they were, their skeletons had finished growing, um, even when they played for 20 or 30 years, there was no difference in the, between the size of the mm. two bones. It seems that ability to increase bone size um, when you start in adulthood is diminished, but you can still have benefits to, to the mass of the bones mm. and they become, become more dense. Well, that's great. Uh, that's all we have our time for today. Um, Alex, thanks uh, for coming on to the podcast. Uh, it's been really great to have you here. Thanks very much. So today we've learned all about how early adaptations, uh, um, well, adaptations early in life seem to uh, be maintained throughout the life course and potentially could um, influence our um, uh, risk of developing osteoporosis and having a fracture. And that also, even in later life, we mentioned our tennis players, that in their racket arm they can have more more bone mass than in their, in their non-racket arm. So the bone truly is a dynamic organ. 
So that's all we have time for today. Please remember to get in touch and subscribe to our podcast. Thanks very much. Bye for now.